0: Can you lose control without losing your soul? Can can you lose power, freedom, influence, comfort, security, safety, whatever? Can, can Can you lose those things without losing faith? Can we stay faithful to God in Babylon? Okay, so it's not exactly Babylon that we're, that we're living in, and, and yet our, our world is, is clearly changing. No, that the sky is not falling, and, and yet in, in a world that's changing as quickly as ours, what is it going to look like to, to be the people of God in the years ahead? I mean, it's, it's not as easy as it used to be, is it? I mean, I, I think, for example, of the, um, the battle recently in, in Massachusetts, a school board, this was last year, uh, they banned any, any future student teachers coming out of a particular near, nearby Christian colleges, college uh, because of their, uh, their biblical beliefs on, on sexuality. And, and the school board actually, uh, the, the, and their, their reason that they, they gave, they, they compared Christians to the KKK, reasoning that if you can ban the one, surely we should be able to ban the other because essentially that's, that's who we are now, Right? Or, or, I, or I think about the, the five-year battle of a group of nuns who didn't want to, to violate their conscience by being forced to purchase contraceptives. I could care less about contraceptives, but should they, should they have to, to go against their, their conscience? Should they be forced to, to go against the, the things in, in, which, in which they believe? Or even, I, I just think even on like a more personal level, the ethical and moral questions that you and I have to have to face like for, for example I mean anymore uh, in the dating world uh, sex is just becoming the price of admission right and you know that if you wait you're going to be lonely or maybe you look around your office and it's just becoming more and more okay to to sort of you know fudge on the truth just a little bit right and if you don't you're not going to get ahead or even, even the way that, that we, we live within our, our families, right? With the, the sense that, that more is always better, but your schedule is eating you alive. And yet to say no to any kids' activities, right? It feels like social shame, doesn't it? Should we all just start giving into these things already? Because the, the reality is, Christians have gone from a position of influence and, and power, maybe, maybe a little too much power for our own good, to a place of growing obscurity and even hostility. It's not as easy to be a Christian as it was 10 years ago. And it will be harder still in another 10. And for many of us, it feels as if life around us is out of control. But there's good news here. Because as we said last week, as we began our time in the study of Daniel... Like, we don't, we don't have to panic. It's, it's okay because you and I were never meant to have control anyway, but instead to respond in, in faithfulness to the one who's always, always in control. And when we, when we feel compromised, when we feel ethically, ethically cornered, and we don't know which way to turn, when we feel powerless, Daniel shows us you can lose control without losing your soul. You can lose control without losing your soul. And this young Jewish teenager, forced out of his homeland, living in Babylon 2,600 years ago, Daniel shows us how. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Daniel Daniel chapter one. If you you weren't here with us last week, I'd encourage you, if you want to study Daniel with us, it'd be helpful to go and listen to the podcast because we covered a lot of the background information of the context historically in which they're in. But let me just kind of quickly catch us up just a tiny bit here because what's going on in the life of God's people is that they had essentially tried to wrench control out of God's hands, which I don't know if you know this about God, but he's not, he doesn't like that when we as humans try to usurp authority, right? Um, and, and so out of, out of gracious discipline, God sends them packing. Daniel begins with, with him saying that God gave them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, into the hands of the Babylonians. And, the, and Babylon is famous for its wickedness. I mean, we think things are falling apart sometimes, right? Like nothing compares to the kind of stuff that they, they had to endure as God's people there living in Babylon. And so our story began last week in, in 605 BC, a long, long time ago. And everything for God's people has spiraled out of control. So much so that Daniel and, and others were captured. Let I me mean, picture a bunch of, of young teenagers. They're all given pagan names, most likely castrated. And force-fed a steady diet of Babylonian propaganda. And so their, their culture, their identity, their people, their nation, their faith has all been forcibly stripped away from them. At least that was, that was the goal. And even so, Daniel remains faithful. How? How? And so picture the scene now this morning. Picture them, this group of exiles, walking into the capital city for the first time of Babylon. I mean, everything is new and, and, and terrifying and awesome, like, all, like this massive city in the ancient world. And here, here they go in. And finally, finally like it seems like some good news, right? Daniel and his companions are to be fed from the king's table. I mean, that sounds all right, doesn't it? I mean, captivity has some benefits. I mean, I, I love food. Uh, you picture like a lavish palace. This is the most powerful empire in the world, the most powerful ruler in the world. And from now on, he's gonna be buying their dinner. It sounds all right, right? And, and I'm just guessing here as well, but like they've just made the 800 mile trek from Jerusalem to Babylon. They're probably a little bit hungry, right? And have you ever seen a teenage boy Eat? I mean, no offense, but like kind of gross, right? It's impressive what they can accomplish, right? And so this is them. And you know, in these, these, these weeks that they've been traveling, they've been, all of them have been wondering, what is, this, what is life gonna be like? Are we gonna make it? Am I ever gonna feel full? Is it gonna be okay? What are our living conditions gonna be like? And finally, they walk into this palace, splendors like they'd never even imagined. And dinner's gonna be on the king. So I, I quickly imagine, right, these, these young men lining up at this, at this buffet. But Daniel, sort of off quietly by himself, says, no thanks. Ah, I don't think so. Look, look at verse, verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. Or with the wine that he drank. I mean, have you ever heard anything so ridiculous in all your life? Like, what's the big deal, Daniel? I mean, like, why does he even care? And even if this is, like, somehow a moral, ethical issue for him, I mean, like, don't you want to just say, like, dude, you're an exile. Like, God owes you a meal. Go and eat, right? I mean, you just feel bad for this kid. His, what is he thinking in this moment? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to eat that. Why? well, we really don't know exactly. I mean, there's certainly a lot of theories around this. I mean, a couple of the more popular theories is that, well, it's most likely the food wasn't kosher, right? So it didn't fit into the Jewish dietary laws, just a little too much bacon on the table. Um, that's a decent argument, except that it doesn't explain the wine, right? Wine's kosher. Why didn't you at least have some nourishment, right? He says, no, not even, not even that. It's also pretty likely that the food and, and the wine would have all been offered to idols, sort of in their sort of sacrificial system to these pagan gods, uh, but that... That doesn't explain the vegetables that he's about to ask for, because most likely those also would have been offered to the deities. So what is he doing? I mean, many, many scholars believe there's probably a combination of a variety of things, including these two ideas. But essentially, the main thing I think that, that Daniel is trying to do is it's a deliberate, clear way, right out of the gate, for him to say to Nebuchadnezzar and to Babylon, you are not the boss of me. You do not sustain me. You don't satisfy me. My life isn't found here. Only only the king of heaven can possibly do that. You could take away my people. You can take away my home. You can take away my family. You can take away my name. But you cannot take my identity. And friends, listen, you can lose your name without losing your identity. You can lose your reputation, your popularity. I mean, Daniel lost everything that mattered in his life, at least least from our perspective, right? And yet he hasn't lost who he is. As I think about that, I mean for many of us, like if we lost our jobs or our friends or our bank accounts or our homes, right? If we if we lost those things in in our life, our reputations, would you even know who you were anymore? But as God's people, we never root our identity in that which can be taken from us. And as much as as they're trying to make Daniel Babylonian, he will never be one of them. And this this refusal to compromise, I mean, it's not about the food. I'm convinced it's it's not about the food. It's about who he is. It's about where he gets his strength. And that he would rather stand out than blend in. And if we want to be faithful to God in Babylon, we need to do the same. We need to resolve to stand out. Like, just we got to get over this desire to fit in all the time, right? To just blend—that's not how. That's not God's people are supposed to look. God's people aren't supposed to be normal, because our identity. Isn't found here. It isn't found in the normal things. It isn't found in the same ways that everybody else finds out who they are, that not not ours. And that, that is going to make us strange. We're not supposed to look the same as everyone else. Because of Jesus, we should love differently, value different ideals, work and raise kids differently, the way we use our time and our money, the way we treat people. Because the Babylonians here, they aren't just trying to to forcibly control God's people. They're also trying to seduce them into their way of life. Have we been seduced by the pleasures, the comforts, the securities that surround us? Have we been so fully assimilated? Are we defiled? Mm, These Babylonian pork chops are so delicious right? I mean, this food thing really does throw me off, because it's, I mean, it seems so arbitrary, doesn't it? Like, of all the things Daniel could have picked, like, why that? Why not your education? Like, forced to, to study the, the pagan documents of, of this other religion for three years. Why not, why not your names? Why not your, your political life that you're about to embrace for the rest of your existence on planet Earth? Like, why, Daniel, is this Your line in the sand, especially since like later on in Daniel, by Daniel chapter ten, it's clear that he's eating the delicacies and the meats and the wines of Babylon, at least some of them, right? It's it's not a, a lifelong absolute prohibition. So why now, why this, Daniel? I don't really know. But I do know as it gets harder to follow Jesus, it becomes even more important, and really in some ways more inevitable. For his people to stand out. For us to look different. For us together to resolve. Not to defile ourselves by the things that are just commonplace for many. To give up on what's normal. I even love that Daniel uses that word resolve. It means to decide beforehand. Like not in the moment. Like not once you know what's what's at stake. Or, or what the options are, or how, how high the reward is, right? No, before, right? You don't, you don't decide when you're on that date. You don't decide when you're, when you're facing that really difficult test, what you're going to do. You don't decide when you're sitting down with clients. Daniel says, Daniel shows us that he resolves beforehand, resolves to be different, to do it differently. In fact, there's this, this fascinating neuroscience blog uh, called Barking Up the Wrong Tree. It's not a Christian publication, uh, but listen to what it said just this past week uh, about resisting temptation. It's a very simple thing, but I love, I love what it says. Before, uh, before you give in to temptation, take a second and deliberately decide not to give in. Resolve, right? I know that sounds way too easy to be helpful. Wrong, he says. Neuroscience shows pausing and taking the time to make a decision actually helps stop you from engaging in bad behavior. That's what Daniel does. Resolves beforehand, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to become one of them. I'm not going to defile myself. Rather than being seduced by Babylon, defiled by all the pleasures and comforts and safety and control and all those ridiculous illusions that you and I build our lives upon and give our lives for, instead of that, resolve to stand out you can lose your name without losing your identity. You can also lose your freedom without losing your character. You can lose your freedoms without losing your character, which just sounds impossible, right? I mean, Daniel, like he's pushed into a corner like a caged animal. Like why not fight back? Why not, why not retaliate? Why not respond with anger and wrath? And yet for Daniel, this call to stand out, it's not about self-pity or arrogance or or attack or self-righteousness. Yes, we're called to be different, but we're not called to be jerks about it. Look how the story continues in verse eight, at the end of verse eight. So therefore, Daniel asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And the chief of the eunuchs, I'm just gonna call him chief from now on. Kind of got this thing about not saying the word eunuch more than a handful of times a day. Um, (laughs) So this chief, we'll just say that, you can get me, um, he's not really crazy about this not eating thing, right? Because he knows that his boss is ruthless and that if he sees his brand new Jewish slaves withering away, it's going to be his head. He's got a lot on the line here and yet it says that God gave Daniel favor with this man to at least, at least hear what he has to say, right? And so this gutsy teenager, Daniel, says to his new master, I mean, it's sort of like, now hear me out. Now hear me out. Let's just, let's just try it. Can we just try it? Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And essentially, like, we'll just see what happens, right? I mean, just compare us with everybody else after 10 days and, and then treat us accordingly. Like, it's, it's kind of a casual little thing that he throws out there, right? And let me, let me even just say here, because some of us, when we hear the veg- hear word vegetables, we're like picturing this like killer salad bar that he's opting for. And you're like, oh, Daniel, it's so hard for you, right? You're like, I could do that, right? Like, this is no big deal. Like some health food diet or something like that. That's not what's going on here. The word for vegetables there is the same word that's used for the seed grain for livestock. That's what he's asking for. It's not yummy veggies, right? As if those words could be used together. Um, this is livestock food. He's asking for like this, probably like a mush of of grainy substance. Like, give us, give me that for the next three years. I would, I would rather eat that than what you have for me on that table. But look how he asked. I mean, it's a big ask, but look, look what he asks. He doesn't, he doesn't raise a riot here. He doesn't throw a fit. He doesn't demand his way or vilify his oppressor. He doesn't I don't know, post something idiotic on Facebook because that'll help, right? Like he, he understands the authority that's over him and yet courageously, humbly, respectfully, he asks. Ask for another way. Let's, let's just try this for a little while. Yes, Daniel is resolved to be different, but it's clear in this story and the stories that follow that he's also resolved to live graciously. That for him, part of, part of this being different is to be dripped with grace. And if you and I want to be faithful in Babylon, we have to do the same. I mean, Daniel's about to become one of Nebuchadnezzar's chief advisors. Like, that's, that's the direction the story is going in. As well as the advisor of, of the evil men who rule after him. Like, emperors come and go, but Daniel continues. Like, he remains there. He doesn't get there by being a nightmare of a human being. He gets there through humble respect, even with the people who have destroyed his his family. Even even those he couldn't possibly disagree with more. I mean, I've I've like had these conversations with my kids, right? Some of you probably have as well. Like, hey, kids, if you want to get something from somebody, like if you want help, if you need something, like... Don't demand. Don't whine. Don't throw a fit. Like, none of those. Like, if that happens, I don't know if, like, for me at least, it's like, yeah, we're not doing that. Like, it's the, it pushes me in the opposite direction, yet somehow for us as, a, as grown-ups, maybe if I talk louder, they'll agree with me, right? And the way, the way many of us Christians talk about politics today it sounds like a bunch of toddlers in an ultimate cage fight, right? Just kind of a fun image, right? Um, <laughs> The louder we yell, the less people hear. And somehow we think think it's going to be okay by the, 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 the volume of our voices or the anger, the righteous anger behind us. And yet at every turn, Daniel resolves to live otherwise, to drip grace even when it hurts, even with people who oppress him. And he's going to face a lot of pain. This isn't like a rosy story for him. It's better than some, but it's, it's not great. They take his freedom, but they can't take his character. And then finally, we see here in this little story that we, we can lose our plans without losing our purpose, which might, might be the hardest one for some of us. We can lose our plans without losing our purpose. Because think about it. I mean, you got to put yourself in Daniel's shoes for a second. When he was arrested in Judah by a Babylonian soldier and deported, trafficked away from his homeland, I mean, just picture this teenager, every expectation he ever had of what life ought to be for him, every dream, every goal, every, every wish. I mean, it's all gone. His desire for a wife, for a family, none of that. It's not possible anymore. His, his goals for a promising career. I mean, he's in the upper echelon in Judah. Like he should have been successful and had, had his, his life together there. All of that has taken away. All, every plan has been thoroughly and insultingly shattered in his life. And this is what he's left with. And yet, he doesn't lose his purpose. He doesn't lose God's purposes for him. Not a chance. Look at verse 15. This is how the immediate story ends. So at the end of 10 days, right, this test was over, um, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh, which I'm pretty sure is a compliment here, um, than all the youths who ate the king's food. They were better off on this nasty mush than anybody else. So that worked, right? But this is just the beginning of Daniel's story. In fact, the way chapter 1 ends, this is, this is like the prologue. We're still kind of in the introduction of this, this young man's life, but look... Look how chapter one concludes, verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom and Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, one of those brutal men who's ever walked on planet earth and he spoke with them and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel becomes the best of all the best in Babylon. There's no one like him. And he doesn't just serve one evil empire or one brutal dictator. Like, he, he continues. He lasts nearly 70 years serving both the wicked Babylonians and the terrible Persians alike. And God's people outlast them all. But Daniel didn't know any of that was going to happen as he saw his life stripped away from him. And for all Daniel know at this point in the story, like, am I going to be executed for treason? Like, is this my last moment? Am I going to starve to death on, on cold mush? He had no idea what God's purposes would be for his life. And yet it is so clear, Daniel was resolved to let God manage the outcome. So that's, that's God's problem, not mine. And if we want to be faithful in Babylon, we've got to do the same. Daniel doesn't know how it's going to turn out, but that doesn't stop him from being faithful. And it's true, if you don't cheat on that test, you might not get into the college you want. And if you don't compromise your, your dating standards, right, lower them a tiny bit, you might never find the one, right? If you don't cheat a little bit at work, you might never get ahead of your coworkers. And if you and I as Christians, if we maintain our convictions, we, we will be pushed further and further into obscurity. But what is that to us? Be faithful to God and let him deal with the outcome. And, and no, there's a pretty good chance it's not gonna end up all rosy. And, and, and it's easy for us to like read Daniel's story with this, like, this lens of, you know, it's, oh, it's so good. He's in this place, place of power. It's like, well, I mean, yeah, it's better than some. Like, he wasn't killed, um, but he's still a slave. He dies a slave. He spends, he's a high-up slave, but he's a slave nonetheless, 70 years, right? His entire life is spent waiting for God to set his people free and to bring them back home. He dies waiting in Babylon. It is not, it is not a rosy story. It is full of suffering for Daniel, And it may be for us, but what is that to us? We can be faithful. I mean, ask yourself, this is a hard question. I I don't like this one. I've been wrestling with it. But like, am I more committed to my plans or to God's purposes? Because in in this story, I mean, did you catch this in chapter one? Three times God gave them something. First time, God gave his people into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Second time, God gave them favor with the chief. Third, God gave them success in all these things. God is always orchestrating in the big things and in the small for the good of his people. And if God does that for his people, what will he do for us? I mean, what if, what if we as his people, instead of looking around with dread, right? And I have been guilty of this. I look around, and I think, you know, what is gonna happen? How are we gonna survive this? What is it gonna be like? But what if instead of that pos- position, that posture, what if it was with hope? Like, what if, what if instead of looking at what we've lost or what we think we've lost or whatever the good old days or whatever that even means, right? What if instead we look for opportunities? I mean, no, no, I, I don't want to lose my freedoms. I don't want to be marginalized. I don't want it to be okay to be compared with the KKK, right? That offends me. I don't like it. And yet, none of that may be in my plan. But maybe God's purposes are to refine his church. Maybe his purposes are to force us to actually live out the things that we've claimed to believe for a really, really long time but just haven't been tested. Maybe his purposes are that as the people around us grow more and more disillusioned with what is and the heartache and frustration and pain around us that maybe, maybe we as a church can step into that gap with actual hope. Real hope, lasting hope. A.W. Tozer writes A scared world needs a fearless church. Don't you want to be that church? You can lose your name, you can lose your freedom, you can lose your plans without losing your God. And while I I love the story of Daniel, and Daniel helps us see this, he helps us see how somebody could actually live this out, but you and I, I think we both know, right? We need more than good examples. We need more than just an inspiring story to to, get us through the week, don't we? We need someone who actually does this for us, who steps into our place, who empowers us to actually live this kind of life, and who who offers us forgiveness for the many times we'll fail. Because while Daniel refused to eat at the king's table, a table that would defile him and condemn him. You and I, as God's people, are invited to eat at another table of a king who who would offer us forgiveness and wholeness and life. For Jesus really did lose everything for us. So that no matter what we face, no matter what's taken away from us, no matter whatever loss we think we might experience, he promises to, to make, it, make it up, to fulfill it, so that we actually lose nothing. Instead, in Him, we gain everything. And for the Apostle Peter, I mean, he understood more than just about anybody that we as Christians live as strangers in a strange world, that each one of us ought to live as exiles. Listen to what he said about Jesus He said, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly, which sounds so much like Daniel, right? But here's where Jesus is so much better. Jesus himself bore our sins, our failures, in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And if that's true, friends, it doesn't matter how much our world changes. Christ is our identity. Christ is our character. He is our purpose. And nothing or no one can take that away from us. For with, with Jesus, we really can lose control without losing our souls. And so this morning, we get to come to that table, the king of heaven. Instead of, instead of eating vegetable gruel, we get his body and blood poured out for us a symbol of forgiveness and hope. Instead of coming to, to this, this king's table as, as slaves, as, as subjects, un, unwanted, un, unwelcome, we come together as sons and daughters in this, this king, with this king. And instead of a, a kingdom that fails, that's continually replaced, we come as citizens of the kingdom that will never end. But before we do that, why don't we take just a moment here? What. In response to these things, what do you and I need to resolve to do? Let's pray quietly together now. Gracious Father, perfect King, we, your people, resolve together to stand out, to live graciously, and to let you manage the outcomes. And God, we, tr- we resolve to trust you both in the successes as well as the discouragements. And we rely on you and you alone for all the forgiveness when we fail. Help us put our hope in you and help us to be a people who convey that hope in a world that's so desperate. And so as we come now to your table, Lord Jesus, would you meet with us? Would you help us come as exiles hungry for life? And would you fill us, Lord Jesus? It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.